This episode of Beyond Aporia originated in the Howenstein Center's webcast, Lunch and Learn with Gleaves, available at www.gvsu.edu slash hc. Welcome to the Howenstein Center's new online program, Lunch and Learn. I'm your host, Gleaves Whitney. During our quarantine, we may not be able to journey beyond our homes, but that should not stop us from journeying beyond our minds. Today's journey takes us away from the headlines of federal and state mandates to bring us closer to home, literally. Surveys show that six in 10 young Americans feel confident in their knowledge and skills to participate in local politics, but they are reluctant to answer the call to public service. Well, that's a problem as we baby boomers retire. Today's guest, Kaylor Sweeney, has answered that call to serve. Kaylor is a reserve member of the Army National Guard. And by the way, Kaylor, thanks for your service in uniform. And he's set to graduate from Grand Valley with his master's degree in public administration at the end of the month. He plans to work in local and regional government in Michigan upon graduation. My conversation with Kaylor will go about 30 minutes, followed by questions from our viewers. Our goal is not to go longer than 45 minutes, so feel free to begin sending your questions to us right away using the Zoom toolbar to do so. Kaylor, thank you for joining me. Of course, thanks for having me. Well, tell our listeners, what first drew you into a career in public service? So I would say that it began um, really with an interest. Uh, I think it's two prongs. So first was my father had served in the Marine Corps when he was younger. Um, so I knew even before that my military interest was tied to public service directly, um, that was something that I wanted to do. And then that experience over time has, um, I think it really instilled in me that interest and wanting to continue that. Um, even as I prepared to leave the military, wanting to continue uh, a legacy of service. Um, but number two was an interest in, um, developed in high school, but especially uh, in community college and then after transferring to Grand Valley was an interest in the structures of government. So my political science background, uh, just I had an interest in it. As I learned more about it, I learned about all the ways that you could actually make a difference um, from working within those structures of government. So that was kind of the, the two pieces that pushed me towards an interest in it early on. You know, from our previous conversations, I know that your dad is a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. <laughs> but what have you gained from your time serving in the Army National Guard? How has it shaped you to become the leader you are today? I think it's very, let me, let me think about it. I would say that a, a huge part of it has been, um, and this is something we actually talked about in our leadership academy cohort during one of our self-reflections is uh, when you're tackling something difficult, it's important to have something in your back pocket and say, wow, I did that. Um, so I'm prepared to go forward to do this. Um, and my, my army experience has always been one of those things where I can say, you know, this really doesn't compare to basic training. This really doesn't compare to these previous experiences I've been through. Um, I, I can move forward through this. So I think it's part of um, my personal experience that has built resiliency, um, personal resiliency and professional resiliency, um, and something that has made me uh, better at pushing through barriers and um, just reminding myself that that's in my, that's in my pen, that's in my back pocket, um, and it's helped build resiliency for me as I continue through education in my career. Well, you're looking at a lot of options to serve the public, Taylor, um, all different levels of government, 
and all those different levels, they need good public policy thinkers. And so what, what appealed to you most about local and regional government? In some ways, I might uh, explain it as they're the ones that got to me first um, because they're local, because that's those are the people you meet. Um, Grand Valley's MPA program has great connections with local leaders, um, city managers, department heads, uh, people working economic development um, for the state. Um, so I think being able to talk to them um, has really made it something, has given me the opportunity to learn about how they're making daily impacts in the lives of the people that live in the communities that they serve. Uh, so that local focus is something that draws me, especially like the technical side that you see more in local government than at other levels of government, um, where they're dealing, where other levels tend to deal with larger issues that get pushed down, provide regulation and guidance to lower levels of government. Um, local government's really where that stops and where they have to say, okay, we need to transfer this, you know, these revenues, these guidances, these regulations, and we need to make it into some, we need to create value for our citizens now. Yeah, it's really where the rubber beats the road. Exactly. I mean, either the government's working and you can see it right there or it's not. And those elected officials who are local, I mean, you know where they live and uh, you run into them in the grocery store and I think it just changes the stakes, doesn't it? Right. It's, it's very personal at the local level. Um, you're likely to, you can talk to them. You can talk to your politicians. You can talk to your local city and county staff. Um, you know, the county, the, the road commission for your region they're doing your roads, like they're serving you directly. Um, whereas the state of Michigan, it's, it's much more broadly, you know, they're serving everyone in the state, but it's, it's spread over many more people. So you don't feel that same personal connection. Well, you've also been uh, the graduate assistant at GVSU's Johnson Center for Philanthropy. And I'm curious, what have you learned about public service and philanthropy in West Michigan? It's your time with the Johnson Center. Right, so that's been a fantastic opportunity because it really took me in a different direction than what I had planned on initially. Um, when I interviewed for that position, I even told them, you know, I'm not in the philanthropy focus and most people in the MPA program are philanthropy oriented. Uh, so that's not my, this is probably, I wouldn't recommend this to students looking for graduate just but I said, this isn't really my area of focus, but it is something that interests me personally. Um, and I think they, they seem to say, that's okay, you just had the core skills, so I was able to move forward with it. Um, being able to learn that, or be able to build upon my local government experience and understanding with experience in philanthropy helped to expand my idea of public service. Um, it also had a very unique um, equity bent to the work. Uh, I worked with a professor there who was studying uh, a, a topic called inclusive growth. Um, which is just as important in philanthropy as it is in local government. Local government is to the same extent, if not more, um, on the hook for providing equitable services to the people that they serve. Uh, especially, with, I mean, they're using tax dollars from all citizens, so they need to provide services in a fair and equitable way. So I think it really mixed in well, and I'm glad it expanded my horizons. You know, we're hearing so much about the national government, the, the federal level and the state level dealing with this pandemic. I mean, President Trump is using these periods in the evening for these long press briefings, for example. We don't hear so much about the local level of, of the government response to the pandemic. What impact are local units of government making in their community? Any responses at the local level stand out to you? Absolutely. So uh, as many know, um, our federal system of government, we have multiple levels and they have different roles um, depending on 
um, the constitution, especially between the federal government and the states, state constitutions, they all have different roles to play. Uh, one important phenomenon is whenever the upper levels of government fail to step in to provide guidance, then that's necessarily going to fall on lower levels of government. Um, and that's not to, I would, I can argue the local government's case is that they believe that they did not receive the necessary guidance early on. Um, just here in Kent County, uh, we had the county, the county health department um, public health officer, he, who was also a Grand Valley alum, I should know, um, you know, he was making daily decisions about that would affect the lives of the people in the county. He was deciding with um, the county manager and other health staff, what should we do? Like, what should our response be here in the county? So if you multiply that across the nations, um, across the nation, hundreds of counties in the United States, all making their own decisions about how to react to the crisis, you know, that, that really empowers them, but it also makes you worry because there's gonna be mistakes made because not everyone has the same resources and it's incredibly difficult to read those individual situations. Um, you've heard the same argument from the state level um, saying that the president of the federal government has not provided blanket regulations yet that they would have liked to see. Of course, there's counter arguments to say that this can be tackled at a state by state and community level. Um, but the, the necessary result of that is that there's going to be um, an empowerment of local and state government to step in and decide what is gonna be best for their communities. So that's really empowered them to be forced to make these really hard decisions that are now um, literally life and death for their um, constituents and their citizens. That's really a remarkable reversal of some of the trends in recent times when state and local governments felt sidelined totally by the federal government. And I know even uh, during my time, my 11 and a half years working in state government, we were even appalled at the number of times we would hear about a, a local news agency shuttering uh, and uh, closing down because they just didn't have the staff or the resources anymore to cover local and state news. So it sounds as if actually through this pandemic, what you're saying is that local units of government have the opportunity to reassert themselves in a way that we haven't seen for a while. And that's a, that's a good development to bring more balance back to that. Well, you know, this question is going to come, Kaylor. Um, you know, we're very proud of you and so many of the fellows who are in our Peter C. Cook Leadership Academy. And I would like to know how the academy helped prepare you to be a leader, uh, especially for a career in the public sector. Absolutely. So if I'm going to walk the, the CLA line here, I can say with um, a lot of honesty <laughs> that uh, the, my work at the Cook, my experience at the Cook Leadership Academy have prepared for um, so many different things, uh, especially this question. And but I can outline especially um, the ability to interface with local leaders, um, to have mentors. Um, and actually, this is another example of it's forced me to experience new things and um, go in directions I didn't necessarily have. Um, until this past year, my mentor was not a local government related um, individual. Um, one was in, my first was in education and my second was in philanthropy. So those were great opportunities again to say, you know, I'm interested in local government, um, but you know, you're still in leadership in an entirely different sector. So what does that mean to you as a, um, someone who interfaces with local government, who has different ideas? Um, what would that leadership look like? Um, and what's, what's the same, what's different? What do you think is universal about leadership and what's not? Um, another important thing that I learned is in our programs, I feel like there's, it's easy to say, well, we're the ones that are going into public service. Um, others should be doing this too, and there's not enough people going into it. And, and that's a real dynamic. 
um, but it doesn't put us on a pedestal. Um, learning from other Cook Leadership Academy fellows, I've learned how well or how easy, you know, that's not quite the right term either, it's possible to be a public leader and to lead and create public value and serve people without working in government. So that's a point I want to make very early. Um, it's not necessary. Um, last week you heard from um, Nate, a CLA um, alum. Um, he, I believe he works in the private sector, but we heard from him how he's doing great work and he's being a leader. Um, so the CLA has also introduced me to the fact that people can be leaders from other areas. And it's going to be different whether you're in the public, philanthropic, or private sector. Um, and there's importance to filling out the roles in all of them. Um, but I've seen leaders from all kinds of different fields, medicine, um, people who are just interested in all these different journeys, and they're all going to be leaders in their own ways. So I think it's important to recognize that you don't have to work in government to be a leader. That's one of those myths that kind of serves in the public sector's favor, um, but isn't really quite true, because you can be a leader in any discipline that you choose. Well, Kayla, you're about to graduate with your second degree, now a master's degree from Grand Valley State University. And that means you're looking at the job market right now. And I'm just curious, what does the public sector job market look like from your point of view? And how are you navigating that terrain? So in this specific point in time, it's been quite a wild ride um, to see job boards just sort of disappear in the past week or so. Um, has been, I mean, it's a complex experience and it's a difficult experience for me and um, for other graduates who are currently doing a job search. Um, I have been, I'm happy to see that now that we're starting to see some stability, the jobs are starting to come back, people are recognizing that they need to get back to hiring, they can't leave these positions unfilled. Um, but to speak to a larger sense, one of the really great things about, um, or a great talking point I could say about that I would share with people who are interested in public service careers is that, especially in local government, um, there's a need for people who are interested in being specially trained in like local government management. So those city manager, village manager, county executive roles. Um, for the larger communities, that's gonna be a multi, that's a mid to late career process. But especially in Michigan and Northern Michigan where I'm from, um, they're willing to look at students who have a couple of internship experience in an MPA to lead um, a village or a township. That's a really big leadership opportunity for people who are interested in that executive career path. Um, so I think that's drawn a lot of people who are saying, well, I can start relatively early on in my career and serve in this leadership role. Um, and that's because of how many, as you said, believes, how many um, baby boomers are moving out of those roles as they retire. Um, so there's a need. Number one, there's a need for students. Um, there's a need for professionals and professionals to take these roles. Um, and beyond that, there's also a large range of roles. Um, so that's something that I'd also share with people who are interested in local government, especially students. Um, many students who have majors like uh, management or uh, general business or finance, those are the last, they're thinking, I'm prepared for the private sector primarily. Um, but the reality is a, a finance degree is almost going to get you farther than an MPA in some cases because they're really needing people with those experiences in government, those management experiences. Um, so any type of almost any type of private sector employee has an equivalent employee in the public sector, um, private to public sector. So it's just being open to those ideas and recognizing that your skills are transferable to the public sector, if that, if that was the direction that you wanted to take them in. 
Very good. Well, for all the people who are listening who feel that call to public service, you know, especially the younger of the rising generation, how can they get involved in shaping their community's future? That's a great question. I think it's very difficult um, to give one path. I think it starts with trying to be involved um, in education, during your educational career, um, whether that's in high school, whether it starts in college with um, groups um, that, are, that are interested in that type of thing. We have many at Grand Valley, um, many of our um, Greek life, but also many um, program related groups that focus on service. So that's a, that's a goal for them. Um, the military is a path for many, but it's not one that is available to everyone, nor that I would recommend to everyone. Um, but some sort of service experience, I think, helps to instill those values um, and helps to give you an experience that lets you say, is that really something that I want to do moving forward? Um, so it's really trying to get involved in something that you care a lot about. Um, and I, I really don't want to say any more specific recommendations because it really depends on what you're interested in and what you think you want to make a difference in. Because you can't just be a, you can't just be a leader, um, like a generic leader for things, like you just lead things. You need to find something that you care a lot about that you can really make an impact on. That's what's going to fuel your passion to, to make a difference. Well, Kayla, we have listeners who are queued up to ask questions. I think we've got seven or eight questions now by my count. Excellent. So let's try to bring them into our conversation. Uh, anonymous asks, do you see your work in local government conflicting with your commitment to the military? That's a really interesting question. And one that I think that we've seen some, not to the forefront, but some national questions about because um, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg had prior, was a prior service military member. Um, he served while he was mayor of um, South Bend. So the, I've seen a lot of experiences like that. Um, where people could even serve concurrently with their um, local government service roles. Um, personally, I'll be leaving the military here in October, um, so I won't have a lot of overlap. So that's not something I personally spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, I'd say it's, I wouldn't put the military up on a pedestal in that, um, like anything else, you need to make sure that you have the time to dedicate to your full-time job. Um, so in the National Guard, it's part-time. Um, but beyond that, I don't think it go any farther than making sure that you can um, dedicate your time um, to doing good work for the public. Uh, I don't think that there's a, um, I, don't, I don't remember the question or the words you used, but I don't think that there's a, um, any problem with military service. I think many of the values align. There's no conflict, in other words. No conflict, yes. Thank you. How has the Michigan Army National Guard handled the COVID-19 pandemic? That's a difficult question for me to respond to. Um, my own experience is that I've heard that there's been, uh, we transferred to online drills um, to respect social distancing and there are um, volunteer opportunities. Uh, I don't believe they've called up any full units, but they've had volunteer opportunities for guardsmen to, um, to, to serve, to serve the public. Um, I can't speak to the specifics. I think it's a lot of, maybe a lot of logistics um, support and things like that. Okay. Well, our friend Bill Weitzel asks a question. Uh, he's interested in the combination of military service and selecting public service. You've addressed that in a previous question, but his follow-up question is, yeah. are you going to stay in the uh, Army National Guard? 
Great. So that's a great question. Um, so my personal choice is that I um, am going to be seeking um, the mobility in my life to to move. Um, I mean, my wife is looking at medical school, so we're going to need to move. Um, the National Guard was a great opportunity for me through school, especially being part-time, um, to build resiliency, as I said, to feel like I did something that I wanted to do in my life, to serve the public in one way. Um, but for me, I think my personal decision was I want the, the mobility to be able to move um, without you know, transferring units, um, to have that extra time to spend with my family as I think about starting a family. So my own decision was I will, um, to depart the military here this year um, after six years of service. But nonetheless, I'm, I'm very sure, even if I didn't want to, that I'll be taking the lessons learned and um, the resiliency that I've gained from the military forward with my career. Well, again, thank you for your service. Really appreciate that. Anonymous writes, how do you think the COVID-19 pandemic has changed your perspective of leadership? That's interesting. I think I've always been a big fan of like the empathy school of leadership. I, I don't know if that's a real term, but I think that you see that strain in a lot of types of leadership where it's about recognizing that leaders who tried to act strong, um, who tried to push through this and who said, we're gonna come into work, we're gonna do this. We're not making any exceptions. We're going to do business as usual. I think those are the leaders that are struggling um, in this time. I think leaders who said, this isn't, we can't continue doing the same thing. We need to recognize um, that we need to take time to care for our workers, that we need to make changes. Uh, we need to recognize the complex and difficult time, that we need to lead with empathy. I think those are the people who have gained um, a lot of uh, credence with their employees and with those that follow them at this time because they recognize that they're willing to adapt um, and that they're willing to, to step back and say, okay, what do we need to do to get through this together um, and to do it in a way that's responsible and that recognizes that we're dealing with a really complex and difficult time. Then there's a, this is an interesting question. Uh, this anonymous writer asks you about sort of the myth of leadership that, you know, we always focus on the leader and we often are not thinking about the people who are behind the scenes that are working so hard to make uh, good public policy decisions, uh, implement public policy, that sort of thing. Um, how do you handle that? The fact that you're gonna be behind the scenes, you're not gonna be in the headlines. Um, how will you handle that personally? And are there any other qualities to local service, public service that uh, you wish to address? Mm -hmm. I think another relevant topic along with that is like the, um, the dichotomy between um, like local government managers and staff versus politicians, um, whether local or otherwise, um, which are very different, very different experiences, especially those of us who want to go into that local management role who lobby staff. Um, there's no doubt about those are, um, those are public positions. You're going to be in public meetings. You're going to be asked, especially city managers and county executives, county administrators um, to speak to the public. We've seen that a lot at the local government level in, the in their response to the coronavirus. Um, but yes, there's absolutely a difference between being um, a politician whose goal is um, public interfacing, um, interacting with the public, and those who are trying to work behind the scenes, um, so to speak, to apply your professional expertise to um, the opportunity of creating public value for citizens. Um, 
I just think it's two very different career paths. So I, I knew a lot of people in my political science program who wanted that um, legislative work. They wanted to call constituents. They wanted to run on campaigns. Um, some of them wanted to be politicians themselves. Uh, I think there's a lot of value to that career path. Personally, I, I added the major in public administration because I wanted, I wanted to dedicate my career to um, the technical side of um, running government well, running government efficiently, um, running government with a goal for equity um, that would really have positive outcomes for citizens. So I think there's, there's those two parts and it takes two different types of people, two different types of leadership, I believe. Um, and that's just an individual and personal choice. So uh, the idea of working behind the scenes appeals to me personally, because I know that I can apply um, my technical expertise that I've learned and will develop through my career to solving problems for the people in my community. Um, however, it is, it is an important, um, it is important to recognize that even staff will never totally be behind the scenes because they will be, um, you, you will need to interface with the public. You'll need to um, discuss the public, public meetings. Um, there's always gonna be that need to develop those personal skills to speak publicly and, um, you know, be available to the public if they have questions. There's been a lot of debate in the last four years or so about you know, the administrative state, the deep state, uh, the bureaucrats behind the politicians, uh, the ones who, you know, uh, sort of implement a lot of the public policy. Uh, do you have a, a position on that? Um, you know, if you go back in American history and you, know, you look at Woodrow Wilson and, you know, Governor um, Robert La Follette and uh, thinkers like Herbert Crowley at the New Republic, all of them were trying to say, you know, America is different now from the way it was when it was founded. And the administrative state is actually going to be necessary, going to need more experts to, to run the country. Uh, do you have a position, since that position has been attacked pretty roundly in the last few years? Of course. So <clears throat> I think there. First, it's important to recognize that all professionals that work in the public sector, um, for example, the ICMA, the International City County Management Association, has a code of ethics. First and foremost is a recognition of the priority of um, aligning your focus with those of your political officials. The political officials have to come first um, because they're elected, the elected officials have to come first because they're providing that public, you know, they provide that um, public drive. They, they have to um, form the agenda for the government. Um, and that's a cornerstone of our government is that the, um, that the citizens need to have a say. So we have a representative system to provide that. That being said, I think that there is a need to recognize that we live in a hugely complex state now. Um, even that local governments provide very complex services. Um, the state of Michigan provides complex services, and of course the federal government. Um, the complexity of issuing um, however many $1,200 stimulus checks, um, that must have been a huge technical undertaking. Um, so all these things at all scales of government are very complex and they require skills. Um, people train for their careers, they go to school to be effective um, government workers in their chosen careers. So there's planners, um, there's finance staff, um, there's everything really. 
I think there, there needs to be more recognition of those technical skills that staff bring to their roles. Um, and it's just a healthy respect and, and, and understanding that they bring, that they are valuable and that they bring that professional expertise. Um, but the, at the end of the day, they always have to bend and recognize that um, the direction from political, direct, political direction is always going to, have to be paramount because it's that citizen guidance. So it's it, like many things, it's just a balance. It's a balance of respecting the, the technical expertise of staff while also recognizing that at the end of the day, it has to be um, guidance from our, our elected leaders that really provide the, um, the direction for change for government. Well, I'm a both end guy, so I love your right, right. allusion to balance. You know, that, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, we do have problems nowadays that are um, almost insuperable, and you do need the best thinking in our society to apply themselves to pollution issues and property issues and that kind of thing. Kayla, uh, we're wrapping up here. I, I do want to ask you, what do you think would be a... Um, sort of the, the summit of your career in public service. Where do you see yourself, you know, say in 20, 30 years? And then looking back, you're saying to yourself, that was the greatest moment of my career as a public servant. What would that look like to you? Well, that's a great question. Um, let's see, I'm thinking... Well, if maybe you want to think about it, we bring you back on some other time. No, no, yeah, well, I'll take you up on that, but I, I, I'll, I'll try my hardest for the people who are okay. beautifully here listening now. Um, I would say I would love to, so I recognize that in my career, um, I likely work for a smaller municipality early on, um, especially if I'm seeking that um, executive role in the first five to 10 years of my career there's gonna be a need to work for a smaller community because that's the kind of the progression of local government management. Um, you could be a manager, but you're gonna to have to go to the UP and work for a city of 500 people, um, or you can work through a larger city like Grand Rapids, working like the city staff. Um, I think towards the end of my, I'd love to culminate my career in working for a larger city um, on that executive level in local government management. Um, Larger cities just attract me because number one, I've spent, I grew up in a beautiful part of Northern Michigan, but I've definitely learned to love um, the metropolitan experience. I love Grand Rapids. Um, I'd like to see myself living in larger cities, but it's also about the, the types of problems that you face in larger cities. Um, I like that they face problems of inequality. They have um, very difficult, complex problems that they have to face. They have many different um, factions um, groups, interests in, within their borders. Um, so that's where I seek to serve, is in a larger community um, where we can really get into those problems of equity. Um, that's not to diminish the problems that our rural communities face, um, especially rural poverty. Um, but I think that my equity focus in my career points me to wanting to work for a larger city in a um, like local government manager type of position. Taylor, is there anything else you would like to mention that we haven't covered? Um, I feel like I really just need to say thank you to um, the staff of the Leadership Academy and the Howenstein Center for um, the support. You're smiling. You're like, man, I didn't even prep this guy. And he, he knows exactly what to do. Um, but it's just really heartfelt. I mean, it's very important to me to recognize the, the support that I've had um, from three years in the program. It's, it's been above and beyond. Um, it's been personal, which... I wish every student could have a staff 
that provides a personal touch to your um, career and leadership development while you go through school. And it's just been um, so central to my, my development as a leader and as a professional. So thank you very much. Kayla, you just made my month. Thank you very much. <laughs> Kayla Sweeney, thank you for sharing your story and inspiring our listeners. Uh, the people that who've listened to you over the last half hour or so see why you were such a star in our Cook Leadership Academy, and we, we're so proud of you and we wish you well. Thanks also to our listeners whom I invite to Zoom in or join us on Facebook at the same time next Tuesday, April 21st, when my guest will be Grand Valley's own Lisa Perhamus. Lisa is an associate professor in the Educational Foundations Department, a sociologist of education. She is also director of the Padnos-Sorosic Civil Discourse Program. Lisa helps create spaces that spark civil discourse, kind of like what we do here. Till Tuesday at 1 p.m., stay tuned and stay well. Beyond Aporia is a podcast brought to you by the Hauenstein Center for Presidential Studies at Grand Valley State University. The director of the Hauenstein Center and producer of this podcast is Gleaves Whitney. The theme music was composed by Andrew Whitney. The Hauenstein Center is inspired by Ralph W. Hauenstein's legacy of leadership and service. Our programs address many of the pressing issues that Americans face. To learn more about the Hauenstein Center, please visit us at www.gvsu.com dot edu slash hc. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. This is Gleaves Whitney.